What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly podcast about movies that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, or are otherwise unoriginal and uninspired, and whether or not we needed them. This week, we are talking about 2019's Hellboy, and as always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me today is Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And Zane Guzelderly. I am so mad. <laughs> this is this is not just a review, ladies and gentlemen. I came here, I asked to come on the show to join these two wonderful men in providing a public service announcement. This is something you need to hear <laughs> and something you need to be prepared for, especially if you have seen either one of the Hellboy films prior to this one. Yeah. This is, uh, I believe what I said after we saw the movie was that I would rather watch my own birth than ever <laughs> see Hellboy again. <laughs> And I stand by that. Get a full theater in. We'll put it on an A-list. It'll be a special 30th anniversary Blake edition of, of Blake's birth. And <laughs> I think that'd be a better time than Hellboy. See, I didn't, I didn't go that extreme, <laughs> but I would rewatch every film that's come out in the last three months that I've hated. Serenity, Escape Room, Shazam, Pet Cemetery. I'd watch them all again. Yeah. Various. They're not all terrible. No. Certainly not as bad as this no. film. And I would, I mean, I'm talking, I'll watch Serenity three times over, just so I never, ever, ever have to sit through this two-hour film again. Yeah, this is a bad one. Like, atrociously bad. I think I texted Blake the second I left the theater. I was like, oh my god, what the hell? <laughs> you have to try. I think you really have to set out with the intention to destroy something beautiful to do this. <laughs> this is a like orange level terrorist attack on, on Hellboy. <laughs> like somebody really sat around and went, okay, people love this character, yeah. but I've got a bone to pick because Hellboy fucked my wife. So I need to ruin it. So everyone hates him sure. now. Right. Who can be on the same page as I. Somebody doesn't want to work in the film industry anymore. And was like, this way they won't call me back. This is like breaking a dish. So you don't have to wash them anymore. I think it's just fascinating too, because this whole thing is like Lionsgate purposely removed Guillermo and and Ron Perlman off of this movie to make this. Like, this is what they thought would be the better alternative to, to giving Guillermo a couple extra million dollars to make his film. We get this shit. Those films are expensive, though. They are. And I don't think Lionsgate really from. has that money coming from, like, you know, the Hunger Games where it's like, even then, they didn't right. even give that and franchise we'll the, the full budget that it needed right. to look good. And we'll talk about the franchise as a whole because the money has never really been there for this series. So I, I get where they're coming from, but if that's the case, I'd rather you just not make anything than make this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, and this is just like a bad movie start to finish, right? From the opening line, I've never been out of a movie on the first line of dialogue than until... I saw this movie. It opens with this, like, super, there's no other word for it, like, pretentious, artsy, black and white, but some things are red because it means something. Yeah, yeah. And the narrator tells you that it's the Dark Ages and then goes, fucking Fuck. right, it was dark. And I immediately just realized that I'm about to watch a movie that a 13-year-old produced who doesn't know how to swear, who doesn't know how violence works, who maybe played, like, <laughs> Call of Duty a little too early and was like, this is the real world. And somebody who has all the creativity in the world to go, you know what's really going to be different and set me apart from the last movie is if I do it in black and white and then I'll make this Schindler's List choice to make one thing red right. because no one's ever done this before this is brand new. we've never it, the, the most uninspired unoriginal director choice to start your movie in the dark ages 
And then just the dialogue from there yeah. never gets better. This. Things happen that are unexplained. Characters have motivations that don't make any sense. The second Ian McShane in the voiceover at the very beginning drops the F-bomb. My brain is like, oh, okay, so this was made for teenage boys who just now found out what a boob is. Like, that's who this audience is now. And I was, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for this. Because I think the one thing that Guillermo, even if you don't like those things, how you feel about them, there's a love language that Guillermo has a, like, a heart and soul and he's like love for the creatures that he creates in those first two Hellboys. This, you can tell that there's no souls. Like, look, let's just put as much CGI violence and cursing on screen and call it a day. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because somebody, I feel like, got the keys to Hellboy, which has a very long history in the comics. This is a story from the comics that Correct. is similar to Shazam following Jeff John's comic mm-hmm. book arc, almost a one-to-one of the it's beats, closer, yeah. but kind of missing what it was about. And I think like any comic book that has a long history, you can pick and choose moments of the character. You can pick a you know, moment from Captain America's history where Rob Liefeld is drawing him and he's in the Ultimate Universe and he's swearing and it. You think the A on this head stands for France? Right. And these like over-the-top, more violent, weird moments that aren't really in the MCU because it's not really what the character can be about. Correct. Or when Iron Man's an alcoholic and when he's not. Or Frank Miller's Batman versus the 60s Batman versus this. You can pick and choose. But to me, they picked this part of Hellboy that is a little more violent, that is a little more dumb, I guess. I never really like any character's story um, that redoes an origin. I think of the Iron Man story arc where it turns out that his parents were like abducted by aliens or aliens were involved and Mm. that's why he's so smart. We couldn't just let him be smart. Yeah. We had to like go back and have this weird alien yeah. thing. Right. When he has a perfectly fine origin as it is. And that's what this, uh, Excalibur story in Hellboy is to me. Yeah. We went back and we're like, well, you know, he's really half, half of King mean, Arthur yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's the King it's of England. And why we needed this in the books was beyond me. Why we needed it now is just completely dumb. But to go from like, let's, set our story apart sure pick a different origin pick a different Mm -hmm. tone but this is kind of like starting a spider-man story when he has six legs and is fighting morbius yeah and you're like like, 100 in it like like, the the craziest point of yeah it assumes that you know the rest of his history this is a reboot that assumes you saw one and two you need to have seen the first two movies in order to understand what's going on and it's so weird because the first one does an origin story that doesn't mix you're like i need to have some back history of well and then you say That's the biggest thing about this remake that sets itself apart from all the other remakes. Hellboy had a very large amount of source material marching into the Guillermo del Toro movies. Then there was nothing film-wise for 10 years, but the comics kept going. That's when this King Arthur legend bullshit was Mm -hmm. introduced and everything else. I'm (laughs) sorry, because when I walked out of the movie, I literally was like, what a bunch of fucking bullshit. They had enough to work with. And then as Blake and I started to look into it, we're like, oh, these are real stories. Here's the thing with such a large comic book franchise, and any comic book franchise, you need to realize what is going to work on the screen. Okay. Yeah. Now I understand that fucking Captain Lobster shows up to do a wink and a nod in this book mm. when they do a flashback a to the ghost. 1930s yeah. and it's very similar to the way they did radio serials and Indiana Jones like ter- character. Paying Thomas Hayden Church to show up in the middle of a flashback. It took me two minutes. I was sitting there like, what? Is that Thomas? 
There's it no- was so jarring. It was. And it and like we don't again, we don't know who this character is. No. He's the lobster, which yeah. I don't know how the fuck that works when we're in like in you know World War II 1945 Nazi Germany. Like yeah. you're gonna get the claw and I'm gonna ban brand you. Right. Like and then it's over. Correct. And that's how this whole movie plays out. We're given well, small beats of yeah. moments that are jarring, that come out of left field with no introduction Correct. or explanation, and then they're over just as quickly as they've started. The lobster in comics comes back. He becomes a part of their team, but in ghost form. So they're doing a lot. This happens a lot in this movie. They do a lot of stuff in this movie where they're assuming that they're going to get to come back to play in the sandbox, which pisses me. We've talked about it before, which pisses me off. You can't assume that you're going to get a sequel. Just make a good film the first time. You certainly shouldn't assume that you're going to get a sequel to a movie that did not get a sequel. <laughs> like From a yeah. better earned, better also, known director. You know, we didn't one thing I didn't do before coming in was looking at the production budgets. I believe both of his were well over a hundred million. No, no, no. The first two budgets for the first two films were low. One was sixty I have them here, actually. One was sixty-five. Sixty-five for the sixty-six for the first I'm sorry, that's wrong. Uh, da, 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 I do have them here though. Uh, sixty-six million for the first, eighty-five for the second. That's high for the second. You see yeah. it in the second one. This had yeah. fifty. Yeah. This, it just like I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see where the money was going. Yeah. Because even when it's like here becomes this grandiose, uh, a mirage, barrage of monsters at the end that are just summoned. To kind of march across London and kill people violently. I was so violently. numb to violence and everything. By the time that's happened, I was like, I but it looked—it started to look like a cartoon. It did just on real canvas, yeah. And just not even—they were just literally like the test screenings for this must have been so bad. They're like, just do as little as possible well, to wrap this up even for us the, to put it in the theaters. The giant sequence looks so—it's so poorly shot. You can actually—this is how bad you know that they just didn't give a damn about this movie. You can see the outline of Harbor on a green screen. Like you can tell when the green screen yeah. outline is like. Oh, this someone just didn't merge these scenes well enough or just didn't give a shit enough to be like, ah, it's fine what it is. We'll just let it go. And that annoyed the hell out of me. There's a lot of things that happen in this movie where it's just like, you just didn't care. Well, and and that kind of even harkens, I think, to the beginning of the movie where we when we meet Hellboy and he's on a mission, I also can't stand this intro to Hellboy where it's this voiceover in a car and we have to have this terrible joke it's, of like oh, the phone i've got a gentle touch as if we don't know who this character yes. is we've never met him before he's never been this, introduced or in we pop don't culture. live in a world where this he intro, could say phone off or in call this yeah. intro like, assumes this intro assumes that we've never ever seen hellboy before right, right. and this that is, we're gonna be like whoa was what was that scene, hand this was a scene designed for the studio again this test screening audiences to be like you're gonna see a new movie here it comes we're not gonna tell you what it is but enjoy you know, yeah. yeah. And then we do this weird opening in black and white that's like Schindler's List with the red <laughs> cape. What does it mean? You guys doesn't matter. <laughs> did not like David Harbour at all. At no, all. but let me finish this thought yeah. on the lazy directing. So then, like Hellboy walks into this luchador competition, <clears throat> and everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's Hellboy! We've never seen this before. We're all surprised." They barely really they react really to it react. until Wingnut from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pops out of this luchador man. Yeah. Because uh, they just keep ripping off TMNT villains in this movie. They've got this knockoff Bebop he's rocking Bebop. around. No, like, he's definitely Bebop. Like, the whole time I was like, Bebop. I know these are all characters in the comic, but could we have made them look a little less like Michael Bay's and runoff? And act a little less like Michael Bay's runoff? It's insane. <laughs> yeah. And so then everyone kind of has this reaction to it. We cut to him alone 
in an empty bar, an outdoor bar in Tijuana, yeah. and no, no one's, one's reacting. reacting to this. Where when you go back to the original Hellboy, there's like there's secret papers. Right. There, th- it was a very like early thousand superhero thing to go, Sasquatch. oh, Batman doesn't exist, right. Daredevil doesn't exist, Spider-Man's not real, the X-Men aren't real, what are all of these things? But to even give us that and have these stakes of he has to be in the shadows... To juxtapose it with this, where he's just out in the open and he, and no one's responding to him, so yeah. we're not sure if like Hellboy's been active and we're all just kind of over it, yeah. or is he breaking rules? Because right. even the bartender's just like, "Here's a handle of tequila, large red man." Where yeah. even if you live in New York and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles exist and you know that, I've got a weird feeling that when they you roll into a Pizza Hut, be, people are would, still like, even if they know oh. they exist, they'd be like, "Oh crap, it's actually him!" Like there would be some type of reaction to that right. person. Being like no one's there. really. We've lived in the real world with sirens, and whenever there's one, I'm still like, like oh, "Oh no!" <laughs> like, I, just to go off on lazy directing too, because this this was probably my biggest pet peeve of the entire movie. There's a lot of times when someone is telling a story. And the director doesn't believe that the actor is emoting enough or telling the stuff conveniently enough that they have to give us a visual flashback of that same story. And it happens like four or five times. Anybody says anything like, yeah, well, that was this one time when I got this. And then we have to visually yeah, see no, a five minute the movie. Scene. The movie plays like your grandparents' vacation to California <laughs> where they have to have a PowerPoint with slides right. every time to tell you a story. I, I did get up to go to the bathroom at one point and came back relatively quickly. I'm, I'm usually very good at yeah. getting in and getting out uh i came back though and he was talking to uh the one that can communicate with the dead i don't even yes. remember alice. her name yeah. alice and he's like yes. he's like yeah well i saved alice when she was a baby and then you get a 10 minute and then no but it didn't happen right away because they kept going with the scene and then i was like oh shit did i just miss like how he saved me? and blake's like nope that's the first time they've mentioned it <laughs> it then took them it was about i believe five to ten minutes later before we actually like, jumped to 1992 and like he's using a horseshoe to to draw out a pig baby. Yeah. What is Which, this? What does this mean for the plot? Absolutely nothing. nothing. This we is the motivation for this throwaway villain yeah. who is with you the entire film yeah. to be like, I hate Hellboy because he he caught me yeah. and sent me back to the. Fa-. There's no context though. No. Of like when you go back to the fairies, you go? was Are there you a like is it? you failed to right. steal the child yeah. for us? Is there should there be other? Children in this world who are just secret pig monsters walking around. Right. What it, there's no there's, context. Yeah, there, there, there's no world building. Yeah. They really are just like, well, you know, Bebop failed and Shredder doesn't get his turtle soup tonight. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. My eyes rolled in the back of my head. When with the Blood Queen every 30 seconds reminding you that she's been in a lot, of, like boxes. lot of boxes. You could get a whole speak and say full of the lines in this movie that are just so ridiculous. When Daimyo's doing this helicopter about how I became a tiger and then they cut to a tiger, I literally screamed in the theater, go fuck yourself. Because I'm like, are we doing this again? That, the, I've been locked in a box for yeah. a thousand years. My favorite fucking random line in the entire movie was, you see, it's the bone marrow, you see. They have yeah. come addicted to it. Yeah. The giants like, keep attacking us for bone marrow. Where I'm yeah. just like, do we really need to, like, right now... I, someone, not me, because this wasn't me, I only had three people in my theater, when the second time when uh, Ian McShane is, comes through Alice's mouth and does her, his little speech to, 
He burst out laughing in the middle of the theater. Oh, it's terrible. Even that, I'm just like, you You could have done this any other way. So much better. Any other way. Yeah. They even do it in Hell- Hellboy 2, where uh, the, the German doctor, the, the protoplasm yeah. doctor, is able to like g- spread into the body of a dead creature, Correct. revive it, and talk to it. I'm like, that was a lot more convincing than a haunting in Connecticut. I think that's like, the thing. This is bullshit. Those first two movies, while they're dealing with creatures and doing all of this stuff... While Guillermo, because he is so great at creating tangible things, it just feels more real in. Like this feels in like a more real lived in world. Whereas this Hellboy just kind of like it's a, it's like watching a Saturday, trying to watch a Saturday morning cartoon. But when you're doing that in movie form, it's just like I, I, what am I looking at? Like who is this for? What is this? What are we doing? What's the point of this? What? Who does Hellboy? There, I watched Hellboy one again last night, and there was a moment. Um, towards the end where he just does this whole speech to Selma Blair where he's talking about I, this is how I look like I, I can't change this and it's just so much more heart in well, just two minutes of scene you right away understand that Hellboy right when you first meet him and it's well don't look he doesn't like when people look, look don't stare and it's I just want to be normal I don't want to stand out I just want you to treat me like everybody else this Hellboy's whole thing seems to be more this relationship with his dad, and I just want to be left alone. But instead of ever having a, like, treat me human, or, like, treat me like a human boy even, it's just like, some dads get their kids Legos. But this is in a moment where you're now an 80-year-old man. Right. So there's kind of a weird disconnect there. There is no, like, well, you've always made me do this. You Mm -hmm. made me a weapon, and you communicated me this way, and you've positioned me here. Where Guillermo's movies... Every step of the way, they humanize their monsters to a point where even in, like, the Golden Army, him and Blue get, like, Takati drunk. Right. And they give you this moment where they are just kind of being friends Friends, and brotherly and human, and you stop really seeing them as monsters. Where in this movie, they kind of keep just making him this big, clobbering beast. beast. Right. Uh, the same with um, the the terrible, terrible Asian character who's a cheetah. Oh, yeah. This Beast Wars. He definitely turns like, into a Transformer, yeah. It's awful. <laughs> and just every line from him. The, the character's motivations change so rapidly that he spends most of the first act hating Hellboy and getting this gun. And then the second act, it's really, I guess it's a necessary evil. And we only end up getting this gun with this special bullet to kill Hellboy so he can toss it to the side and say it was a mistake. Right. They quite literally load a gun and never fire it in no, this movie. The whole, I mean, like, the, the, the ending sequence has him pointing at Hellboy for what, the seven-minute sequence, and he's just pointing a gun and doing nothing with it and just pointing. All he has to do is, I was like, oh, he's just going to change it and shoot her instead, right. and that's going to be the big, like, wow. And then we're going to have this, like, well, you know, I got it to kill a monster, but it's good to know who the monsters are. Yeah. Some scene, because even in Hellboy 1 and 2, there is a lot of juxtaposition of, well, humanity is a monster, too. Correct. And there's good and bad and on both sides. And them, yeah. We deal a lot more with that idea where we just don't deal with anything in this movie. There is no cohesive thematic tissue. It's just kind of... Jokes that don't land and motivations that change. Even the Osiris's Club's motivation of, oh, well, this is a good place for an ambush. That's exactly the point, Hellboy. Came out of and nowhere they and then it just him. It never comes back again. And then are killed by the very giants they claim they don't need his help to kill. Yeah. And they kill all, all of, of them. them. It's not like one went down. He doesn't wake up in the middle of a fight. There's just, no, just a, like a pile of, of mush. Yeah. Like and they're that summoning. so bad because, I mean, granted, granted, 
okay, look, giants could have different color blood, but that just looked like when he cutting cutting those giants and doing all kinds of stuff, I was like, this is what the what is this? What is this movie? Because they're doing shots with like it's a running cam, and I was like, I who is this for? I sat there for a, at least two times, maybe four times in this movie. Like, I don't know who the audience is for this because this is this isn't the same audience as the Hellboy 1 and 2. Like, you've made a film where you completely, if you were trying to bring that audience back, you've lost them all because that, that those two films are completely different character-wise than this one. And it's really a shame because when this movie <clears throat> started production, it was, you know, guys, we're going to redo it. We're not going to do Del Toro and bring back Ron Perlman. We're going to restart it. But it's going to be R-rated. Right. It's going to be a horror movie. We're getting into, like, the darker more monstery side of these comics where the dark side of comics became yeah. almost horror books. And we're going to do this scary movie. Yeah. And then the first trailer was set to that pop song. And there's not even a horror beat in this movie. Maybe, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe the witch that wants his eye. That's probably the only scene that I actually yeah. kind of can take in this movie. It's, oh, this is actually good, but because it doesn't, really lead to anything in the future. It's just a line of telling you where the tree is, which I was like, you can get that from anywhere else. Yeah, we didn't need 15 this. 15 minutes of this scene. This Soul yeah. Calibur 2 character <laughs> bending her bones everywhere with yeah. her uh, Saggy old dead children penis. that she's yeah. eating. Like everything in this movie was just gross for the sake of gross. It doesn't Correct. really play like a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie where the violence is so overdone, but it's like, pulpy and actiony and you're just sort of like gee wow they're it's so crazy but it's part of the tone this was like gratuitous yeah and gross and she's got these like children's hands and these mutilated bodies and when the monsters come they're like pegging people and there's that scene where the crow pulls out an eye and just this white pus Pus. flies at you and it's all just very off-putting. It, it's, it is. It's gross. There's no other word for it. It's just disgusting. Yeah. There's no point to it. There's no purpose to it. There's no layers. It. There's no art to it. It's just thrown at you like, oh, let's just throw as much paint well, at the wall and one of this will stick. Because even when Tarantino does it, there is a like catharsis to it, it almost. There is a like you want this character to die or you want this hero Correct. to have salvation or you, you, know, you want to see the guy who owns slaves get his due and you want it to be a lot and there right. is this weird like yes when, you, when it happens. And in this movie because the stakes are so low and the character's motivations are so weak that it instead is just like oh you just want to, you're just trying to make me feel something. Yeah. And it's not working because your opportunity to make me care about anything is gone. Even in Game of Thrones when there's gratuitous nudity or violence it plays because you care about these characters. When you see that dude's head get popped like a zit, you feel that. You feel it, right. Where in this, you're just like, oh, I guess we just wanted to have this crow puss out at me because... There's no attachment to any of the characters in this, so like being overly violent, it just becomes like, I'm checked out. I I have a question. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here and uh, I'm just steaming mad, as you know. (laughs) And uh, the the Boba Yaga... I don't know how she fit into this, whether she was working with the blood queen. They, or so they showed pet. her the moment. She, I guess, is just like the, she has all the information. It so doesn't matter. When Bebop <laughs> goes to her, it's, 
you have to help me find the Blood Queen so I can get my revenge on Hellboy. That's and she's right. like, I want to help you because Hellboy also put me here and I'm weird. Yeah. And, but that's the thing. It's like, to, to your point with the gratuitousness of it, it's just like, she serves them up. He's, Hellboy goes to her house. She serves up soup with children's fingers in it. And Hellboy goes, are you killing kids again? Just human kids. And then it pans over and there are like 10-year-olds hanging naked, caught hanging. up, and hanging. Yeah. And again, this is just another example of just something that it's like, who the fuck was on set and be like, you know what would be so cool and like really shock people is if we cut up a bunch of mutilated 10-year-olds and hung can, them in the back. Got nothing to do with the story. You can see that they were probably like, I bet you we can do this because Guillermo would never do this. Let's go ahead and just go balls That must you know, have been you what, know how, what the base was for yeah. this movie. What would Guillermo not do? You right. know when you hear like people in prison movies and they're like, well, you're gonna get eaten alive in there because like they're murderers, but like you fucked around with kids. Yeah, and there's like that's the line that's the in the line. sand yeah. for like awful All, people. Yes. Like they're like even yeah, I murdered 17 people, but this guy diddled a kid. Murder him. Yeah, there's always that's <laughs> yeah. always yeah. the line. Yeah. It's even in like Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Two. Right. The reason Yondu is is banished is like you were trading in kids, yeah. man. Like we don't do that. Like. Yeah. That's always these gangster movies, these police the movies cold. are like, you don't do that. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, I murdered a thousand people, <laughs> but Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, to have that in the movie does just all of a sudden just make you go, uh, like, it's just, it's all just terrible. It just added another layer of uncomfortability that they did not earn. Like, it's different because I've been in situations where movies will do something uncomfortable like that, but they They've done enough groundwork to make that. I was like, okay, that was uncomfortable, but I, I'm here. I'm in it. I'll do this. This doesn't do that. Um, for you to be able to put Ian McShane on screen and me not give a rat's ass is quite possibly the the biggest feat I think anyone has ever done in their pos- in their lives. Because Ian McShane to me is a god, literally American gods. But like here, I'm just like, nope, I don't, I don't want any more of anything that's happening on screen. Well, they make his father relationship with Hellboy, there's so much, like, anger and resentment to each of them. Yes. There is kind of this weird, like, your dad knows best idea, so, like, listen to him, where, you know, in the first movie, it is all, like, I always knew what to call him. I called him son. Yeah. There was always, like... felt more fatherly. Even in just the cutscene in that first Hellboy, you're like, okay, I get more of this is why this became a father-son relationship. We never get that here. This plays more like... The first half of Terminator 2, where John Connor's mad at his mom because it's just, yeah. you made me, you trained me. It was always this. Right. It was always you fighting. It was always war. And, you know, the arc in that movie is coming around right. to her just, like, being a mom. Right. That never really happens in this movie. It just kind of remains at this, you made me a weapon. You built me to do this. And I don't get why you should have just done this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. And there never is really a moment where Ian McShane steps back and is like, but I loved you and you were my son. Where the first movie bathes in that idea. Ian McShane, again, does the same scene over and over again. Shut up! Be a man! I told you that you had to be tough, gotta be a man. I'm like, "What, what, why? Why three times over do I need to see this scene where... Hellboy, which we have not gone back to talking about how much we hate David Harbour, because I just hate him so much as this role. I actually did not mind Because, like, for, like, last week I saw Shazam, I didn't care for it, but, boy, did I love Zachary Levi. I'm like, I'd watch him do more. 
This felt like, okay, you didn't even watch the other Hellboys and good on you, but like you're also not emoting. Everything is said the same way. Every joke lands flat, in my opinion, and half of it doesn't even make sense. Like, why, as an 80-year-old deity, would you say a line like, some dads get their kids Legos? Uh, do you want Legos? And that was a throw-off, too. Do you not like want a gun to go do and kill like you do and is in your nature? I you want not, Legos? He's the one thing that didn't bother me, because I sat there a lot of times like, all right, he's fine in a be- better scripted, better directed, better everything type of film. I would not mind him getting another shot at it. But yes, it is still a pale comparison to Ron Perlman. But I, I, some of that is like, have I just become so ingrained at the first time that I've seen Hellboy on screen is Ron Perlman? Or, and I don't want to see anybody else because that's happened sometimes. Before. No, it's because they make that character a lot more animated and there's a lot yeah. more emotion and expression in just his movements and just choices he makes. When he meets the male agent whose name I'm forgetting in the first movie, he doesn't make eye contact no, with think, him. Yeah. He's just drinking and ignoring him and making very active choices to just push this character away. Mm-hmm. Where David Harbour's choices in, in this Hellboy are always the same. Yeah. It's always this like apathetic, I don't care. He comes off like a teenager who's just like doesn't want to focus in any class he's in. Yeah. Every scene is like, oh, can we hurry up with the exposition? Just let me go fight the giants. Where really every scene Ron Perlman's in he chooses a different way to communicate with Abe when he's fighting the resurrecting wolf mm-hmm. than he does with Selma Blair. And he watches from the shadows, but he looks longingly where when, you know, David Harbour doesn't even get to do that moment. Parts yeah. of this are a bad script, but other parts of it are choices an actor is making or a director is making for him. Correct. There's not really any tonality to there, his choices. That's it, it's true. always just very like, this is who Hellboy is. He's apathetic. He's one note. He's just doing one-liners. And he doesn't really care. There's no remorse. There's a weight to Ron Perlman's yeah. performance that you see in almost every scene. Even the scenes where he's having fun when he's like laughing. He's laughing at the news and, ah, yeah. oh, you know, they're making fun of your toilet seat. And they figured you out. And there's, you know, conflict with him and Jeffrey Tambor that you see. There's a much drier wit that Ron Perlman's able to do too because there's some lines that he he gave that you're like, oh, that was a slight, but it takes you a minute to realize, oh, he's he's digging at you. You're correct. I get it. Yeah, it's just a more, it's a more humanized character all around in both of those films that you just don't get. Um, and you're, you're correct. Part of that probably is the acting. A lot of it is the directing and script. Yeah, I think it's more, because I've seen David Harbour in other things correct. and be great. Yeah. So, like, that's... <laughs> I know he can do better than this. I don't know how well you can act with 80 pounds of makeup on your face. Correct. Which I think is the other, there was a simplicity to Ron Perlman's design. It was funny because I watched these out of, I watched this one and then I went back and I was like, hey, this is a much more streamlined look for Hellboy, but I think it allows you more to do as an actor if you have it this simple. I hadn't seen Hellboy 1 since theaters and I had never seen Hellboy 2 until yesterday when I watched both of them and probably every five minutes I looked at Zayn and was like, this is just so much better. Yeah. It's in, it's amazing, yeah. really. Like it, it, they're gorgeous films, even though they're both like a decade plus old. Well, there's even just like aesthetic choices that are is very much Del Toro. Like even oh, yeah. in the Golden Army the scene, these like this this puppetry in the beginning, and as far back as the first one, the way the this this steampunk ninja assassin great. with these bulging yeah. eyes, 
everything is very memorable. It really is that like every frame is a painting and everything's going to kind of love language with everything that he puts on screen. Yeah. And in this movie, it all just felt very bland and and bad CGI and nothing really stood out and amazed you. And part of that is because the first movie came out in 2004 and was really probably the third or fourth movie in, we're eventually gonna have to come up with the words for this, but I guess like 77 to 89 was like the, Superman, Batman era of superhero movies. And this really was the first, you know, mainstream stay. We, yeah, yeah. we hadn't had a monster superhero hybrid yet. We hadn't had kind of a more bitter superhero character. We had it. It had always been great power and great responsibility and doing the right thing. Yeah, I think the only one that would come to mind is probably the Spawn that was in like the mid-90s, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. even that like predates yeah, this like correct. X-Men and Spider-Man right, right, right. And, and Blade, I think. Yeah. And Blade, I guess, is more in line with this. But if yeah. we're really drawing the sand at X-Men and Spider-Man is when this became big. This was your first kind of darker approach. And now in 2019, even just putting Hellboy up next to most of what we get, there's nothing really unique or special about it, which is why when you look at Del Toro's movie, that uniqueness stands out so much because it isn't really enough anymore to be like, look, he's big and he's from hell, but he's a good person. person. Yeah, and I think that is the thing that Lionsgate as a whole, I feel like, missed. They were trying so hard to get, like, put, do their comic book. Like, we got a comic book, too. We have a comic book character that they kind of forgot that the reason, there's never been a big audience for either of these movies. The first one made, like, 99 million worldwide. The other one made 160. To be fair, Hellboy 2. Came around Dark Knight. Was it the same day or the week before? It was the week before Dark Knight. Terrible. You're not going to win that. You're losing that one every single time. Um, But... Even still, those two movies are just for a smaller, smaller audience, and it became sort of this niche audience that Guillermo kind of has cultivated. Lionsgate went out and was like, we need to make our big comic book epic film. It was like, well, we're going to lose. And granted, Guillermo wanted to make this like an $80, $90 million budget, which probably wouldn't have been the smartest thing to do. You always need to go smaller for these because these films are only playing to about one-fifth of a, of a comic book audience. Lionsgate wanted to go big and in doing so they removed Perlman they moved they removed Guillermo but I think at the same time you also removed and alienated the entire audience that was still rocking with Hellboy well and I think these movies play better with a smaller budget because there is it's as we just saw it's very easy to make this a bland movie it's almost kind of how I feel about Suicide Squad I think if you had slashed Mm -hmm. Suicide Squad's budget in half yeah and really just made you make some interesting unique weird approaches to it Kind of how we, we talked about when we did Ghostbusters, the the, the ladies ones. Their yeah. budget was too high for the type of film that I think they've. It becomes easy for. to yeah. do a lot of these things, and I think even like Del Toro's artistic choices do well in a smaller budget. Yeah. Like it kind of forces this almost like 1940s medieval aesthetic to come out. Everything gets to be a little dingy and dark right. and tangible. Yeah. Where in this movie, everything felt glossy and clean. We just rewatched The Matrix last night. And I kept just being kind of amazed this time around at how dirty everything in the real Grimy. world looks. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's so interesting that they make the real world in these movies look so unappealing. Everything's but very lived in. Yeah. And that's almost how the original Hellboy movies mm-hmm. were too. There was a sense of tangibility and, and texture to everything. It felt when, lived in. It felt used. It felt yeah, old. Even when you have these f- little fairies running around, you still feel like there's some type of weight to everything. They've been around for right. a long time. Yeah. And in this movie, because it was all just like, even their warthog looked like he took a shower. Like, 
she shouldn't be coming out of boxes from the medieval era and Clean. getting sewn back together and then looking like she just walked out of a shower in a yeah. sauna. Yeah. They have a chiropractor on set to like crack her back in place and some makeup prosthetics to just be like, there, now you're beautiful. Go be a queen. The oh. blood queen. Oh, Mila. Still seething mad. Uh, <laughs> I just have not wanted to speak. You're all, you're all hitting, you're hitting the points. Here's something that has not been touched on, and I think that we have to talk about it because you, you've brought up a lot of Warner Brother films as your examples of the DC universe and everything. And that's part of why I feel that they're not as good as Marvel is because it's a committee over there. It's not like one man overseeing it. The production on this is already storied. Oh, and the reports out this weekend are terrible. But yeah. They've already, uh, you know, several members of the crew have come forward and stated different things that it was a, ultimately a clash between producers and directors. Yeah. To the point where they were, it started with an argument about the tree. Yeah, the tree, the look of and, the tree. And how the look of the Blood Queen's tree needed to be. I think you're missing the complete point of the movie if that's the hang up that you're having. Well, it started with, with yeah, yeah. the smallest the fucking, fucking detail yeah, ever. Know, right. To the point where the producers, in order to swing you know, their dicks around and show what they, they lost were. They the one of the art directors? They fired, yeah. I believe, the, the second director. Who was Neil's, the director's right hand person. Yeah. yeah. And basically did it to send a message like the mafia would if they Correct. were making a film. So Lionsgate, I don't know if yeah. these producers are, how associated they are to you, but uh, I don't think they need any more chances. Neil didn't show up to the premiere. No. Just let you that know says that, like, everything the director you need to know. just like, nah, he, this isn't my he, baby anymore. Uh, he cut the film, and then they reminded him that he never had Final Cut, yeah. and then took it away from him, and then cut it themselves. Correct. And that's when a movie like Suicide Squad, uh, like Justice League, Justice League yeah, yeah. They, it starts it to show because, you know, feature. I think comics appeal to all of us, and I think all of us in different ways, especially at our current age. Right. And I think if you've got some young, hipper director, at least under 40, and you've got 60-plus studio executives kind of intermingling, you know, an age which isn't normally offered in most test screenings right. or, you know, looked at. Correct. It's an immediate clash. I think a movie should always have, yes, you're going to have this, this, and this, people talking over you, but if you pick a director, you need to kind of just be like, all right, I'm, I've chosen this director because of the voice or choice that I, they need to have their voice written all over this. Like, Kevin, yes, he, just Kevin Feige from Marvel decides everything that's happening, but when he chose Ryan Coakley, he's like, Ryan, yours. You go and you put this how you want to, Scott Derrickson, Doctor Strange, yours. You go do whatever the hell you want to do with this and kind of come up with But But, you know, look at Edgar Wright. Edgar, here's Ant-Man. Yeah. Go what you need to do. And then what we don't normally see is a phone call that comes down the pike about a month later and been like, hey, love what you're doing. Right. However, at the hour and 37 minute mark, we need to add in a MacGuffin to, to send Ant-Man to the right. Avengers thing because we're going to set up how him and Falcon know they're going to do a little five song and dance and then they're going to get the MacGuffin and we're back to we're your back story. To Fuck you. And, and then like, we no. know what happens. Correct. It's very simple. Yeah. But what, what was the fucking motivation here? Let the young guy make the new creative hip Hellboy movie and just let it happen. The I more hands the in the pot, the worse got, it's going to be. I think be. the producers for this just got hungry, saw that how much money DC was making for some of their stuff. Even if it failed or wasn't considered to be critically good, it still made money. They're like, oh, cool. We just need to do that and put it on screen. Well, I think this is also a lesson. And if, you're not, if you don't use it, you lose it in Hollywood. They yeah. need to make a movie to keep their rights up. Yes. I don't know what the Hellboy rights timeline I is. I imagine that they were getting, we're getting close to... 10 years without a movie if not on 10 years to make a movie that's usually when they're like here you go yeah i'm sure someone was like well get it done right get it done just go do it and they thought of all the right little things oh it's gonna be cool and it's gonna be new and it's gonna be r-rated and we've proven that r-rated movies work but we've never 
speaking of like the need to make a movie, yeah. this is a direct right. Usually I'm like, oh, well, here's this theme it's doing or why this is important. Culturally, there's no reason to make this no one, movie. Yeah. There's no reason at all. No one's learning no one's anything. Learning anything. No it's, there's no representation. Yeah. But as R-rated horror superhero movies grow, I said this on our Happy Death Day to You podcast, this oh. genre blending stuff needs to keep happening. And there was a really cool opportunity to be the first out of the gate with an R-rated horror superhero movie. Yeah. The same way like New Mutants had an opportunity mm-hmm. to really be this like blend of genre right, that right. Marvel kind of keeps flirting with, but really they're making superhero movies. Right. Like everyone, they're, oh, it's a political thriller. Ah, well, your third act is pretty much a superhero movie. So right. let's, you know, yeah. cut to the chase. They could have really taken this story and even this story in particular with King Arthur and made this weird fantasy, superhero, horror, R-rated, incredibly unique movie and they just didn't. Sort of what it looks like we're going to get with Brightburn. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And the like, and the kind of difference, too, is... I mean, I think Brightburn looks good, but going, what if Superman was evil, isn't exactly the, like, most unique... Correct, but I mean... <laughs> you can't kill the serial killer, and he kills everyone and goes up into space at the end? Because that's my bunny on what's going to happen in that right. film. But I mean, making it, like, a horror element. Exactly, that's yeah. That's, no, you're right. That's refreshing. Like, yeah. I don't know what the fuck was done here, but like, you know, yeah. they tried to bring the the hell, the put the hell in Hellboy and it just... That's, it, a, that's an actual tagline that they chose. Too. Yeah, it Even is. demons have yeah. demons. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. It's, it's the most piping hot mess you can sit through and it's not fun in that way. That's the biggest thing you gotta take away. I think if you're gonna make something that's that tongue-in-cheek, trying to be violent over the top, I, you have to have some and type I, of fun I understand that the three of us at this table uh, think about films differently and go to a lot of movies. Yeah. And I, I get on and I, you know, the biggest indicator of like, what, what is middle America thinking? Find a Hellboy ad uh, on Facebook and just click on the comments. Mm-hmm. And at least half of them are like, well, I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was the most exciting I mean, movie this, I've seen well, since, you know, fucking something thing. from five years like, ago. Like, and this, they, they haven't seen anything. This one has a, I mean, critics hate it. Like, it's a 13%, but it has a 65% critic owned fan. So it's right up there with Captain Marvel. If, if you're a nihilist, if you're a hardcore Satanist, sure, you'll probably love how fucked up this movie is, but even you can tell that there isn't a cohesive story here. It has a there are no real score. stakes. Well, and I think that's almost the weird part to an audience that doesn't watch a lot of movies just going over the top with violence is enough to make it be like wow yeah. how original and different right they really went for the gore and it's like ah well no and like, like the percentage of this is in line with the percentages fan wise of both the first two hellboys and i was like wait what well and also because again i mean and i know that zane and i are in the minority with our feelings on shazam but again if you make a movie like shazam and you just follow the comic book that perfectly mm-hmm. for all of my issues with it that is the new 52 shazam right that's what it is people who like that comic are gonna go this is amazing mm-hmm. they took it and they put it on the screen and when you take you know this 2008 hellboy run and you put it on the screen and you do a one-to-one of how it looks and what the plot was like, that's it the fans of that comic are gonna go great yeah they did it they put it on the screen that's and it true. happened and i love it like it it the same way that if I really wanted a like Craven's first hunt Spider-Man movie and they just did it, Put it on I screen. would be like, amazing. Yeah. I do this with Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm like, that's what Mysterio looks like. This movie's gonna be amazing. That's true. So that fan base. And that what likes did you think about movie. Venom before it came out? I thought it was gonna be be- that did not look like Venom. No, right. He's missing the big white spider. If they yeah. put that big white spider on him, I would have been like, I don't know, man, that's what Venom looks like. Bad. That's I gonna be great. Yeah. 
Um, but no, he's this big black tar baby. Like it's some like Br'er Rabbit story. That's actually very true. Like the very small audience that read these, that 2008 run, they're like, all right, this is fine. This is what I wanted. But it's clear that anyone else that was a fan of the original or a fan of the older run or comic, or just a fan of movies where like they're like, I'm they're a little bit more critical. This movie only made twelve million dollars, so no one's yeah. going to see this movie. Oh, it's it's done. Yeah, the, it'll be a seventy five percent drop off into four 100%. million into nothingness. Oh yeah, once by the time, once Avengers drops, this by the time be in the, a week before the Avengers even comes out, before Avengers is even played, yeah, Hellboy will be done. It'll be out of theaters, and it's it's up to you to avoid it. They really need to stop putting Hellboy movies around next big to events. giant <laughs> comic book. Well, you know, April, in my opinion, has just become the new January dumping ground right before the summer. Here's some summer blockbusters that just quite weren't good enough for the summer. They weren't good enough to... Yeah, and that's kind of how it is. Whether you like them or hate them, they're movies that get mixed reactions. Another one was like Kong Skull Island, a movie I hated. And, and Very I know, much enjoyed that. I know, I like people Kong. really like it, but if you look, it's kind of split down the middle. Yeah. And it, it really is one of those things where it's like, oh, they didn't have the huge pickup they thought they would. Right. Maybe April isn't a great time to do it. And you still got kids in school. That's the time that everybody's doing their finals and whatnot. People, and you know that the big, the big event film is right around the corner. People are like, I'm saving my money for that one. Yeah. I mean, that's always going to be the like. Yeah. So this, I didn't look at all the other box office numbers yet, so I can pull them up really quick. But it yeah. made 12 million. Is it just worse than the other two? Like, uh, yes. Uh, one made 26, and I think two made 35 million opening. Um, but box office wise, 99 million for the first one worldwide, and no, 160 not. something worldwide for the second. Oh yeah. So they're numbers never... that will never be reached by this new. One. Oh god, no. <laughs> this will. This will also, and it's funny because this will add to the whole stigma that it's like, well, it's funny you can't make movies rated R. You know, you make movies rated R, and the kids don't yeah. go, and then you don't make the money. No, make a film that is compelling enough for adults. You're right. For kids, you can kind of trick them into you, showing you can show them film that. moments from 20 years ago when they weren't alive and be right. like, hey, kids, isn't this fast and new and yeah. shiny? You're right. You have to work harder to get me because I live in the fucking theater. I've been, right. I've, I've, I've seen this I've seen so much before. that I, I can pull all the threads. So I know where you're going. know your audience and yeah. know that you can't just do some of this shit to just let it happen. Yeah. Fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just like... I, I, I mean, you could really take this, these three movies, I feel like you could take to a film class and show the, the new one first and then go, okay, guys, this was terrible. Now look what you can do <laughs> when you have a vision. Yeah. And you could really use it as a lesson of like, see, you need yeah. like heart and charisma and here's how you like, here's how to not direct a character yeah. to make choices and here's what like, because I don't think a lot of new filmmakers really know what like character choices mean. I think we're seeing more and more of like directors with these characters who are just kind of leaning on the the laurels of what was in the comic book yeah. or what was in the previous one. But when you really look at Hellboy 1 and 2, you do get these like these very clear moments where Ron Perlman and Del Toro were like, don't make eye contact with him. Mm -hmm. Only look at her. When you're sitting down with the kid on the roof, you're just being normal. He's just a kid. It's normalized. Oh, that's, that's such a when you're scene. when you're uh, getting heckled at during the detective scene, you don't make a, you just throw back the comment at him. Yeah. And these all kind of add to the layered texture of who Hellboy is. Oh, his growth and his growth through through two films. Yeah. yeah. And when you get to you know this movie, he's just doing the same thing the whole time, and we're being kind of just told, well, he's daddy problems. Yeah. And he really liked his weird winged bat friend 
who was a normal person, but then vampires got him. But then we threw this creature who and can fly into the air, and he still landed on this pike. And because that so friend, that movie leads us to be, begin with like letting us think that his friend meant so much to him. And after he sees his name being inscribed, we never mention him. We or never think go about back him again. And I'm like, that sh- that would have been your thread to be like, I lost somebody that meant a lot to me. That almost played as if it was supposed to be the character in Hellboy One. And we were supposed to have watched oh, right, the right. movie and come back and been like, oh, man. Like, if this was Del Toro's script, yeah. that's where you bring him back for the five minutes and then kill him off and everyone really feels bad. But again, in a new movie where I'm not supposed to have any context of the other two movies yeah. and to open it that way, I like I don't know. That would be like if the first scene in Star Wars was Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru dying. You, you would just be like, okay. Take off. The second the credits roll. Absolutely. Hey, what do I care? This movie has an unnecessary amount of uh, end credit sequences. Really? No way. There are three. Unbelievable. That's yeah. two less than Guardians 2. It's well, nuts. I mean, we saw the ending in Belarus well, you see the one with, with Abe's eight. hand. So that's eight. one. Jim Henson came up from the grave and provided an a unrealistic puppet, puppet yeah. hand. I was like, we almost, couldn't just pull out almost, the old prop from Universal's like, prop room. You're almost at home like, that's what the fuck you guys wanted? That's what you did? Really? My Abe looks 75 times. Looks like, times looks like a toddler-like yeah. frog wash cloth that yeah. you put on your hand. And Where's my shape of water? Put him back in there. But um, And the second one brings the, the Thomas Hayden Church back as a ghost. Which happens in the oh comics. Oh my god! Um, he as a ghost, he is a part of their thing, and it's a whole thing with him at the uh, Hellboy's at his dad's gravesite, and then the and the lobster shows up. Shows up in ghost form and and talks to him, and then there's another scene with the crazy witch who wanted the eye talking to someone who's shadow. Oh, because they realize, oh, you know what? We just did not wrap this up. So it's legit her talking to someone off screen, which we don't see. What, she's supposed to be the Thanos of this fucked up Hellboy universe? Fuck you. Fuck all of this. I hope you never, ever, ever get a chance to make another (laughs) Hellboy movie. Let the first two movies rest in peace now. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't... The only way that I would ever want to go back to Hellboy is if they were like, yo, Guillermo, our bad. You want to do this again? Because we kind of let didn't let you finish other than that if that never happens then i'm perfectly fine just accepting that the first two exist and this is a stillborn child that we never need to talk about again yeah it's a bad movie it's the worst don't go no. don't even go for fun's sake let it get on hbo go in three months from now and watch it and you know what i the last thing i will say is i really like david harbour harbour as an actor i do too i think he's fantastic even before Stranger Things, he was my favorite supporting character that show up in a movie yeah. and just sell it. Yeah. And I still think he's a great actor. And I still think he can lead a movie. I think that this actor got into the crossfire of a terrible onset war that yeah. raged from everything from set design to costume and makeup design to script changes. And ultimately, a frustrated director that couldn't be there to help him. I mean, I yeah. get it. You got how many pounds of latex and costume on? It's it's hard. I think that also can. I mean, that also you've been on set. That also yeah. can affect an actor. If if everything around you is poisonous, you're whatever you're giving. And is on top of, like, of it, eh, he's now in like know. probably a, a ninety five degrees host, oh, yeah. like costume and yeah. just like wanting to go home and having to do this for a solid month. I get it. It's not his fault. Yeah. And I still think like if I had to ever watch it, if you put a gun to my head and said watch it, I'm sure I could just because of him. But as it currently stands, I was too close to the original two. And those scripts offered a lot more heart to that character. Oh, yeah. This did nothing for David Harbour or this character. No. May it have never been made. Yeah. Yeah, I would rather that. That'd be better. Yeah. It would be much better. Well, that's our show, guys. Don't go see Hellboy. This has been a public service announcement. Don't go. 
But do leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars and follow us on Twitter at HollywoodADI. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash Hollywood Already Did It. I'm at, as always, Blake. Zane is at Zuzelderly and Terrence is at Terrence Tatum. And we will see you next time. Later.